Being Reasonable comes to you from the WHUP studios in downtown Hillsboro, North Carolina. I'm Mark Solomon, and you are taking part in Being Reasonable, the weekly conversation show that focuses on how we've arrived on our steadfast views and our desire to know what is true. To participate in this friendly collaboration, all you need is respectfulness and an honest interest in the truth. We can all improve the way we form and consider our beliefs. And we can do so by being reasonable. One, two. On this week's show, you will listen to a conversation unlike my usual SE conversations. I speak with Mackenzie and Michael, two individuals who recently experienced significant belief change. They were kind enough to share with me some of their experiences and insights. So here are Mackenzie and Michael. Thanks for reaching out, Mackenzie. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll do a lot of these shows and I don't really hear feedback. I just want to thank you for that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Thank you. So I'd love to hear your story. It sounds like um, you're stuck in a bit of a belief system and you're able to extricate yourself from that belief system. It seemed like maybe it was possibly doing you some more harm than good. And uh, I'd just love to hear, you know, your story. Yeah, yeah, we can uh, start with that. Um, Okay, so I was trying to do this research project because I grew up in evangelical Christianity, and especially getting uh, more involved in my college church community. Um, I was experiencing some cognitive dissonance because I thought that the gospel of Jesus was supposed to be for everybody. Um, And I was confused why it didn't seem to be as accessible to some people I was trying to share it with. Um, And so I decided to do do a research project to study how people come to different conclusions. I was like, okay, I'm going to study atheism. I'm going to study Catholicism. I'm going to study like different religious, different denominations and different religious practices so that I can understand how people know things. Because if I understand how people know things, then I can understand how to tell people more empathetically and more effectively about Jesus. Like if I understand how people know things, then I can help them know what I know to be true. Oh, that's really interesting. So you initially started studying other religions so you could be able to help people in other religions or other belief systems understand why yours is more objectively real and true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so. And Michael, are you in the same, are you coming, guys coming from the same place, the same so, religion? And maybe we should, you know, if I do, if I do publish this, people are going to want to know how you guys are connected. So probably should yeah. say, talk about that off the bat. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was actually raised Mormon. Um, I ended up leaving the faith when I was about 18 and then me and Mackenzie met, uh, doing a federal service program called AmeriCorps. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. Sure. Yeah. We were on the same team and Mackenzie ended up telling me about her research project and she had started talking with some Mormon missionaries, um, before she had met me. And then when she found out that I had been raised Mormon and that I was no longer religious, she wanted to know 
more about how I came to that place. And uh, we eventually just started having these long conversations about uh, religion and epistemology. And um, cool. yeah, that eventually led to her deconversion process. So you were already out and then Mackenzie, you were re religious at the time, but a different religion. Mm -hmm. And did you want to, did you talk to him initially because he was a person you'd want to get on board with what you believed at the time, or you just was, were generally curious about why he was no longer a believer in his religion? Um, it's definitely like a both scenario. Like I really, really believed that the gospel of Jesus was still supposed to be for everybody. And I like had like all these feelings about like, Oh, I wish like he would have gotten the right gospel and like, and I like, want to be able to like make this more accessible like accessibility was a really big thing for me I wanted to make it accessible to anybody no matter what perspective they were coming from and um, just a few months before um, before this AmeriCorps program where I met Mike um, I had started talking to some Mormons um, like they had reached out to me and I was like, okay, this is the direction I'll take my research project and I'll start studying the Mormon faith. I don't know anything about it yet. Um, and so I, I thought that, that um, with Mike, it would be a really good opportunity to learn more about it. And halfway through our AmeriCorps year, he suggested like, hey, why don't you go to a Mormon church? And so we like met some missionaries there. Um, I started like reading the Book of Mormon. I started uh, meeting with missionaries pretty frequently. Um, my, I have a friend, uh, whose mom grew up Mormon and then left the church when she was 30. Um, so I got to talk to her and she shared some documentaries with me. So I, and I like found this history podcast, um, that was like pro Mormon that I was, uh, trying to learn from. Um, and it was really helpful for me to see how, religious context can like seem to work and people can have like fruitful testimonies and and different things while while still the religion seems like objectively false like I came to conclusions that it seemed that the Mormon church seemed false because of um, its history and scriptures and and contradictions and that helped me put the evidence that I found for my own faith in a new perspective of um, like being able to dismiss certain things that I counted as evidence previously. Um, and that was like a really big, like kind of like zoom out kind of moment of like seeing, seeing how religious experiences convince people of certain things. It's not that the things that I saw that seemed correct in the Mormon church showed me that mine was wrong. It was like the things that like, um, from a Christian, from like an evangelical Christian perspective, the Mormon church shouldn't work, but it did. And so if, if the evangelical church works then too, like that doesn't mean that it's true just because like there were, there were facts that seemed like they pointed to the, the Mormon church being more objectively false. Um, well, let's let's back up then if that's okay. Cause I just really, I'm really curious about your story because to be quite honest um for every one person i talk to who's sort of done this kind of self discovery and who's 
backed out of a religion, mm -hmm. I mean, there's many, many, many more people who don't aren't able to do that or don't do that, or for whatever reason, um, or maybe go the, even the other way, you know, and I just, I would like to, I just, I always find it very curious. I mean, it was very fascinating what, when I do come across people who were mm -hmm. strongly in a religion and they're able to extricate themselves from that religion, how they went about it and how they did it, because I think it seems to be pretty rare. Yeah, um, I think, I mean, it's also relevant, I guess, um, some of the cognitive dissonance I was experiencing, like, um, even before AmeriCorps had inklings of, like, thinking that prayer didn't work quite the way that I thought it did, not as consistently as I was taught that it was supposed to work. Um, there's, a, like, it, I don't know, it kind of, like, learning about another religious framework of, like, being the Mormon church, like, that helped me kind of like zoom out and like have like a little bit more space to explore the cognitive dissonance and also like the conversations with Mike gave me more space to experience that cognitive dissonance and process through it. Um, I think so, a lot of so Mike was very helpful in that sense too because yeah. Mike had been had gone through you say a deconversion process and by that what do you mean? Yeah so I I was a very very serious and like I guess spiritual Mormon uh, when I was growing up. I was in a very devout family and I took it about as seriously as you could. And I think that's actually what led to me eventually leaving it's because I was so um, like obsessed with figuring out, you know, what is true and what isn't true about this oh, theology. Yeah. And when I was about 17, um, I started coming across some apparent uh, issues with church history or contradictions within the theology. And there was about a year where I was only trying to resolve those issues, like within the context of like church approved sources. And like, it was like, it was the belief was true. I just had to find a way to like resolve it um, so that it made sense in my head. I wasn't actually like questioning it um, on a, on that, on a level where it might not be true. It got to a, the cognitive dissonance uh, got to a point where, um, I just, I had to, to sit down and figure out what I believed because I was about to graduate high school. And if, I don't know how much you know about Mormonism, um, yeah, you have but to. Mormon men, uh, serve missions at the age of 18. Right. So, and I, I was like, okay, if I'm going to go out and, you know, try to convince people this is true, I got to resolve the, these problems for myself. So, um, it was Christmas break of my senior year. I actually sat down at the computer and I read the, the Wikipedia page of the Mormon church, uh, which isn't even like antagonistic to the Mormon church, it's a very neutral description of the church, but it's the first time I ever read about it from a source that wasn't like very pro Mormon and just like reading through it in that neutral way. I was like, Oh, this <laughs> kind of seems ridiculous. And then I ended up deciding to look into more antagonistic uh, material. And I came across this thing called the CES letter. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's this long expose of the Mormon church. And I got like halfway through that and it was, I would completely lost my faith. It was over at that point. Um, Interesting. So you were able to investigate it. And, and I just, you know, the same thing when a question I asked Mackenzie, you know, I'll, I'll ask you because 
I would imagine you're not the only person of the Mormon faith who had these questions you had and aren't able to resolve these certain things in your mind that seemed uh, contradictory or paradoxes, maybe mm -hmm. what, what was it about you or what your situation or what, how do you attribute that you were able to make some of these changes in your major belief systems that, that you just, it's just rare, I think. Yeah. I mean, like I said before, I was very obsessed about coming to an understanding for myself about what I believe about this religion before I go and like spread it to other people. So I think it was kind of the pressure of, you know, the mission coming up. And then I also had applied to uh, the Mormon church schools. I don't know if you've heard of like BYU before. Um, there were a couple of different BYU schools that I applied to. And like, you can't, if you like leave the Mormon faith while you're attending that school, they'll kick you out. Like you have to stay Mormon and follow the Mormon uh, like behavioral rules. But when you, when you left, when you decided that the faith or the religion wasn't true for you or not for you, but it wasn't, um, it didn't match up to reality as you saw it, mm -hmm. that um, it wasn't just a fact of real, leaving it just wasn't a fact of changing your belief i think it was a fact of you had to change probably everything yeah. i mean the school you go to i don't know if you had to change your friends or your i mean you can't change your family but you had to change your relationship with your family or i'm sure it was i would imagine it was a lot at that time yeah for sure there's i definitely lost my you know the community that i had grown up in and i really loved um uh, ironically though my the rest of my family except for my dad ended up leaving after i did um oh. after i made the case to them that it wasn't true oh. um so, you did. so I, i'm lucky in that regard that i you know i wasn't a lot of people end up getting ostracized by their family when they leave these kind of like high pressure religions like mormonism or jehovah's witnesses or um so i was lucky in that sense um mckenzie was that your what was your experience that way that you um when you you know you felt this cognitive distance dissonance as you mentioned and that you i guess eventually had to make a decision it was it i know you made the decision to change your belief but was that decision also related to changing friends family work i mean for you yeah i i'm still figuring that out with some of the relationships in my life right now um because it's only been since march that i yeah. left so it's only been a few months. Um, Goodness, yeah. Yeah. Um, we. I actually kind of wanted to like talk to you about this because I know on your show a lot of the time you ask people like if their beliefs changed, like what, like what else in their life would change, and a lot of people maybe haven't thought a lot about that. Um, but like there are a lot of like relational implications. Like I, I gave myself like about a month, I think, before telling any like believing family and friends, um, just so I could like process more of it myself. Um, and I'm, I'm currently trying to navigate relationships with my family members. It's, it's, there's, I, I'm lucky in the sense too, like my family is not like, it's like shunning me. Nobody's being really mean about it, but people 
it's kind of hard to process through, like if your family doesn't believe that it's possible for this kind of change in your framework to be permanent. Um, like they think that it maybe is just a season of doubt or, I see. or um, just like kind of they're like, there have been moments where they're kind of just in shock about it and um, like telling my sister about it. She like her first response was, but you've been the strongest believer that I have known in my life. Like all of my spiritual development that's been going on recently has been motivated because of you. Like, I don't want to rock somebody else's boat. I don't want to cause other people hurt or unnecessary cognitive dissonance that maybe they hadn't had yet. Like, because that has like a lot of implications for other people's lives. And so um, that that's kind of like a weird place to be in. Like, I think a lot of people have it a lot worse. I think a lot of people experience like a lot of like mean things said between family members or like yeah. really relationships. So I, I, I'm, I'm lucky in the sense that it's not that bad, but it's still really uncomfortable. And. Well, um, I, I, I do feel for you, Mackenzie, I do. And um, you know, these you know, strong beliefs that, we have, and if we change these beliefs, they don't change in a vacuum. You know what I mean? These are just not beliefs about your favorite color or, you know, they're just, these have wide implications about your, you know, how you see yourself, how you see the world, how you see, but they're also relational changes and they're also identity, how you see yourself as a person or, um, yeah, that's been that's been a, kind of a big part too. Like, like there's like a, you feel like you amputated yourself, kind of like from yourself in a certain way. Like, there's a lot right. of like emotional grieving of like mm. things you really appreciated about yourself that you associated with your faith, like joy or love for music or different things like that. Um, that it's it's hard to like like have hope at first that those things are still going to be part of you and it's been really cool to see over a little bit more time that like which things are still true about me that I still love that are not necessarily needing to be tied to my faith. Like I lost my faith, but I am still Mackenzie in all these cool ways that I appreciate about myself. But that's been, that was like hard at first for me to like see the future of that and like how that would be okay. Yeah. I And I do get the sense of how new this is for you. And, uh, um, it's a hard process and I've talked to other people who've gone through or are going through what you're going through. And, um, you know, and when I practice street epistemology, I do try to keep that in the back of my mind that I really want to know the purpose of the belief and what it serves for them that person to have the belief and and um and i like to ask the question how important is it for you to believe in things that are true i think most people will say that it's very important but i think when you um get down to it i think a lot of people hold on to beliefs not because they necessarily believe that they're objectively true but they believe well, they serve a purpose and they they serve some kind of bond with another person or they they um they can give like a sense of belonging or 
or like a sense of community or sense of purpose or like it also just feels good to know things like it feels good to say like I know this to be true it feels good to be united with people in that sense it feels good to have a framework to go off of it feels really uncomfortable to be in uncertainty and to be like I don't really know how to answer all these questions that biologically I like I want to be able to answer when we want to be able to answer things and we that's interesting, Mackenzie. So, yeah. so one thing you lost is you had the sense of certainty about the world. Mm-hmm. And now you don't have that sense of certainty about a certainty about your beliefs or what you know. And that is that part's been difficult. Mm-hmm. Was it the same for you? Like yeah, yeah. I think that's part of the reason why religion works so well is that it gives you all the answers. Um I think we're creatures that have evolved to, you know, come up with uh, like frameworks for understanding the world based on stories and myths and that we've kind of evolved to be stubbornly irrational in those beliefs because it gives those frameworks stability and it gives us, you know, a a purpose and a community and a way forward in life. Um, The problem is, is that usually are like, they're probably all, made up or, um, you know, constructed, socially constructed to some extent. And the question is, you know, is it possible to build new communities and new frameworks that if not true are like less wrong and don't, you know, involve some kind of collective delusion in order to function? Um, Which I think that gets to your question that you ask people about, you know, is like, how much does truth matter? Is it is that supposed to be the most important thing? I don't know. I think if, if like if I had to choose between living a deluded and happy life or a sad life, but I like knew the truth of the universe or whatever, I think I would be happy and deluded. Yeah, it's it's a really important question. When I ask that question, I'm not I try not to make a value judgment in the sense that I mean there are plenty of people who the belief serves the the ability to get on through the day and to and whether it's true or not is just not that important and i want to respect that i do i think we can have beliefs for all different reasons and i don't pretend you know i know my situation in my life and i don't pretend to know other people's situations and i don't want to you know if that belief is used as you know the major support structure for you know, literally getting through their day. I don't want, I don't want to remove that support structure and I don't want to be involved in changing the confidence level of that person's belief unless they explicitly say that, no, I really want to believe in true things and not that I have the answer of what's true or not. I, I have, I don't of course, but it, um, but I don't mind helping other people think about those kind of questions Hmm. we were kind of actually hoping on this call that you would have all the answers for us (laughs) (laughs) yeah do you have any beliefs (laughs) that you would feel comfortable defending to a street epistemologist do you have any like really strong held beliefs yeah so i find that fascinating for someone who makes this their hobby um like does that leave them in a state of just complete uncertainty about like all of the big picture questions in life or I'm just curious yeah. to see how you react. 
Yes, that's an interesting question. Um, I'm okay not knowing. Um, you know, I, uh, I do think about that kind of stuff. I do think of probably about more about big question issues. I, like, I think probably think more about dying and death than most people do. But that stuff doesn't bother me and I'm okay not knowing. And uh, some of the things I wish I could know and it's a matter of probably the time we live in and, and there's a lot of gaps in our knowledge and it'd be so cool to live, you know, maybe 500 years from now and we'd know so much more and things like that. Um, but I don't, you know, when I practice street epistemology, the, there are things I need to hold as a premise for, in order for me to practice it. But the premises that we work under as street epistemologists, they're not huge, these huge things. And, and I could very well be wrong about these things, in which case, um, what I'm practicing is uh, incorrect. And, and if that turns out to be true, I think I'm okay with it and I'll do something else. So but, the premises yeah. are like about like the utility of street epistemology then, or? Well, they're really or... basic. Like there is some sort of reality that we may not all have a good handle on, but whatever that reality is, and we may perceive it way off how we perceive this reality, but whatever this okay. reality is, we share it. Yeah. That whatever is true in the world for me and objectively speaking is true for you, true for you. And I can't, my, I can't believe it not to be true or I can't pray it not to be true. It just, you know, there are certain things that are, yeah. real and true about the world. And I might not even have a even close to a handle of what that is. I may think I do, but it, I may be way off, but regardless, whatever, if I am, we're all sort of equally way off or we're all, we're yeah. all just tied into that thing, whatever that is. That's yeah. really, that's one premise. And, that, and it goes along with that premise is the fact, you know, whatever that is, there's some guiding laws, physics, whatever you want to call it, that work the same for everybody. Mm -hmm. Logic, whatever. Yeah, I just, and that's, I don't know if there's another other premises, but that's the, um, that's the ones I work off of. And it'd be interesting if I'm wrong about it and we're just all brains in a vat and I have my own reality and I'm just, you know, but yeah. Um, yeah. That makes me think of, um, like, I know, I know you always ask people, like you said, like, how much, how important to them is it to believe true things? If, if believing true things is really important to somebody, does that mean they ought to just be intentional about what they believe is true to make sure that the true belief that they do hold is actually true? Or does that mean they should focus more on avoiding false beliefs? Say it again. Because that's that's like, interesting. Like if, if truth is the most important thing to somebody, like if they say a seven, for example, on your scale, like, is it more important them, for them to 
believe true things or not believe false things. Cause I know that's what you say frequently on your podcast of like, I want to believe true things and I want to not believe false things. But like, if, if truth is very important to somebody, maybe that would make them actually like want to like hold certain beliefs that they feel like are the most true. But if maybe consistency is the most important for somebody, for example, like having a sense of like, there's this common thread for everybody. We need to figure it out because clearly we're not doing that yet. Like yeah. that, then maybe they would, maybe if they really like studied it for a long time and thought a lot about that number, because of course everybody wants to say seven, like most people like want to yeah. say seven, like, of course I want to believe true stuff, but like what, what actions does it actually lead you to do to like focus more on believing true things or not believing false things? Yeah. Right. And I think you, you raised a lot of interesting points. And I think, you know, I, the one thing I talked about is I, I do like to re- respect people when they, if it turns out that they would rather believe false things that are comforting or serve some purpose, and they don't really want to know what's necessarily true. And I respect that. I try to respect that as for individual. Mm-hmm. Then and tell me what you guys think about this. I think for a society, that doesn't work very well. Because if we're all believing what we want to believe because it's comforting and we act on these beliefs as if they were true, and a lot of these beliefs are very, they run up against other beliefs. Mm-hmm. And my, and it's part of the reason why I do this is I think we get ourselves into just some really bad societal problems. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Um, you can go first, Mike, if you want. Um, I don't know. There's this book I really like. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Mark. It's called Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. Have you heard of that before? I've heard of it, but I have not read it. Mike talks about it all the time. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a book that I really like. Um, Well, the first like section of that book um, describes a lot of uh, things about early human history, and one of the one of the things that was the most, I guess, impactful for me to learn about that um, was about how stories have been um, like the foundation of like the development of human uh, civilization and evolution. So he he talks about this, how there's this like a uh, troop limit for primates that is around like 200 individuals okay. and that humans were the first primates to ever transcend that troop limit uh, when we developed language and the ability to tell stories and build myths and that these stories became the imagined orders that allowed us to cooperate on massive scales. And so the implication of that is, is that we're humans, like we're beings that have evolved to cooperate and function by believing in these common stories and myths, whether that's religious or political or whatever. And so, you know, it's not so much whether it's true that we're believing in, it's more important that we're all, whatever that is, we're believing is the same thing. Well, that would allow us to probably cooperate better. Um, I mean, if it's not true, it's always, it's vulnerable to reality 
you know, threatening to deconstruct it. Um, but I guess my concern is, is if we begin deconstructing these social uh, beliefs, um, like what is going to like keep us together as a society? Like, I don't know what society would look like if we all kind of stopped believing in all of these kind of like collective uh, constructs, if that makes sense. Um, you mean like religious collective constructs? Yeah, or any type, like so, any type of social, political, religious constructs, these like imagined uh, orders that we have like built our uh, society on. Yeah. Like everything is so deeply interconnected in society that right. if you begin, you know, pulling at the strings of one thing, what, like, what are going to be the downstream effects of that on everything else? Yeah. You say some really interesting things. I know, like, there's arguments from an evolutionary standpoint that, you know, how beliefs have evolved has really been irrelevant to whether. The belief is beliefs reflect anything that's you know objectively true or basically. I mean, they're reality. clearly not because there's so many different ones. There's like four hundred thousand yeah. religions or something. So. Sure, and that and that we have then we've evolved to have these these beliefs because for whatever reason they just help us survive and help us cooperate. Yeah, cooperate and, and you know and just the act of having these sorts of beliefs, whether they're true or not, they could be false, but. If the if the belief helps you move on from generation to generation and propagate the species, then the belief has definitely served the beliefs and how we form them have definitely served the their purpose. Right. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. I know it's an interesting question. Um, I've wondered if that's why we sometimes find ourselves in the situations we do is that we're wired to believe in things that are helpful, maybe for our in-group and not right. necessarily yeah. helpful if you want to know what is objectively true, if that's what you want. And you're saying that you're questioning whether we would have a functional society if we all believed in what is objectively true. Or if we made that our highest value instead of just relying on the frameworks that and the culture that we were born into. I don't know, maybe it would work out, maybe it wouldn't. I, I'm not sure. I'm wondering, and just how much you think of that was our high or one of our highest values. That was our highest principle. And person, I mean, personally speaking, it's one of mine. But if 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 for society it is like sort of getting on board or whatever, whatever is ways of finding out what is objectively real. And I know it's all that's very difficult to define and know um we have better ways about going about teasing those things apart than we did in the past but what if that was the shared experience i mean that was that's what we're sharing you know what i mean that pursuit the um that putting those kind of epistemic virtues the highest in a society if that would create a great society and and you're thinking maybe maybe not yeah i'm not sure i if we could hit some kind of reset button to to like to help people understand that i think that that could work but 
like the transition into that like seems really impossible and I'm like very much so an optimist like so it's hard for me to say something is impossible but like I don't like how are you gonna tell like a little lady in her like in her church that she's gone to her entire life that Mm -hmm. hey like instead of valuing like the gospel of Jesus Christ like we actually ought to be valuing just like our own search for knowledge and you might be wrong like that like that's yeah be accessible to somebody yeah I, I wouldn't yeah and i wouldn't pretend to tell somebody a specific person like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah what you're you're putting the wrong priorities in your life um of course uh and i'm just thinking more of like at a grander scale like if we put this sort of thing way up and maybe and maybe that test has been done and maybe if we looked at societies that value um these sort of epistemic Mm -hmm. virtues more than others that do we have happier societies healthier societies you know and just because you tend to value objective reality objective truths as a society doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be a happier society you could be a miserable society you are listening to being reasonable on WHUP. I will continue my conversation with Mackenzie and Michael, two individuals who recently experienced significant belief change and were kind enough to share their experiences and insights right after this short break. So how did you guys discover street epistemology? So I was kind of a casual uh, fan. Um, I found it after I left the Mormon church. I found a couple of videos of, I think it was Anthony uh, Magnavasco, I think that's his name, uh, talking to some Mormon missionaries. And uh, there was like a brief period where I got into that. Um, but then it, it had been a while since I watched those videos. Um, and then when I began talking to Mackenzie, um, she told me about a research project. She told me it was about figuring out how do people know what they know. And so I said, oh, there's this really cool thing called street epistemology that you would be really into. Um, and she kind of like blew me off the first like four or five, <laughs> the first like four or five times I told her about it. And then after she uh, deconverted from Christianity, um, I think a representative from recovery from religion suggested mm-hmm. your videos to her. And then she like called me and apologized for. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is so cool. Why'd you never oh, tell cool. me about this? Just kidding. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I just, I just really, that's why I do it. I just want to. I just want to help people really look at, examine their own beliefs and help people talk about them and discuss them with other people who might share their, might not share their beliefs. And I just really like that. And I really appreciate you reaching out. Um, And I'm always looking to do better. So, you know, if you guys have ideas, I'm always open. You know, this is a fluid thing. It's true epistemology is new and we're all trying to work it out. We all really, we actually, literally get together sometimes in real life and sometimes virtually to um, just work out the details and make these conversations even better and just try different ideas and be creative. How did you come across it? Like I've heard like a little bit, I think about your kind of like heart behind it of like wanting, like acknowledging that like certain beliefs, like 
keep people from being able to like have re- conversations kind of thing? Yeah, no, it's a good question. And, um, you know, the way I've talked about it is it was around 2016 and it was right after the election. And I was kind of concerned that we had two halves of our society that believed in wildly different things that were in many cases contradictory. And I think it was getting ourselves into trouble and we couldn't, it had gotten so bad, even well, since then it's gotten worse, unfortunately. But at the time it was bad. And then we couldn't even sit down with each other and talk about it. Couldn't even sit down with somebody and talk about uh, with a, someone who has a belief that's different than yours. And I, I thought that was just so wild and so bizarre because and maybe I grew up in a household where that was considered, that was part of life. You'd have different ideas, different beliefs, and you would talk about them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it got heated, but it was never personal and that it was a way to discover it was one way to discover a true belief and to have these conversations. And if you can't even have these conversations with other people, mm-hmm. I think we're, it just concerns the hell out of me because I mean, then we're only interacting with people who believe what we believe and how could we ever learn that our beliefs are incorrect if we're never interacting with yeah. other beliefs and, um, and so that sort of started me on that. And that's why I started the podcast in 2019. I went online like you guys did probably. And I discovered, well, this is a thing. And I discovered Anthony's and Reed's videos, Read Nice Wonder. And then I um, um, I started doing videos when I ended up out in the West Coast. And Reed and I were in Palm Springs doing epistemology together. And I, and I thought that was how I started doing videos. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's how... I, I came about it and I feel passionately about it because I don't, I mean, there's other ways to do this as opposed, opposed to street epistemology. There's deep canvassing and other methods, but I'm not wed to any one method. I think uh, it's just, if we can have more of these conversations, that's really what I want of how we form beliefs and arrive at them. And, so is your uh, main mission just to like improve the discourse generally and to help people like think more clearly about their beliefs or do you have like a, a larger mission? Like, do you have the mission of making that like the highest value? Like if you could, if you became magically president and you could decide that that would be like the highest value of the country or something, or is it just very like small scale, like it, like a hobby? Yeah, no, I have idealistic lofty visions about this. And I know I may be way off and I might be, odd to say these kind of things but my thought is is that the fact that we are living in a society where we are having these really strong beliefs that are pushing up against other people's i think i think this causes suffering in a society i think this causes a a net dysfunction yeah dysfunction a deep suffering a deep suffering in the sense that if and I think it's really in a way senseless that we, and I just want to reduce that, that suffering mm-hmm. that it causes, it causes you guys, it causes families, yeah. Yeah. it causes neighbors, it causes towns against other towns. I mean, you know, you guys understand how you, your belief the fact that it just seems to be different than someone else's belief that you know 
that that in and of itself is a problem. Yeah, um, we we have um, this uh, idea that we've been brainstorming because um, it like we've both experienced like like the difficulties of when you change your belief. Like there's a lot at stake um, with particular beliefs, like especially religious ones, like because um, you can like have relational implications and lose your sense of belonging or lose your like framework and certainty. And so like, since community is such a big part of that, like I was thinking how it like really stinks how when you change your belief, like you're risking losing your community to whatever extent, some cases it's worse than others, but it never is going to feel good. Like, yes, I get out of this community that's been giving this positive sense of belonging. Like, right. so it would be cool if there were intentional communities that or intentional organizations and these exist out there too. Like I've been like learning about a few different examples, but um, it would be cool if there were more things like that, like, like an organization as intentionally structured as a church, for example, but that's united, not by a religious belief. That, like that offers you what, a church would offer you, but not the supernatural component. So that somebody could change their beliefs as they reasonably saw fit without having to put up reasoning blockers to protect themselves, like put up these protective mechanisms to keep them in their belief. Like, like there could be like, instead of like a Sunday sermon, it could be like a weekly Sunday evening TED talk. And instead of. What do uh, Unitarians believe? Is that, is that a, I don't know if that's something that's akin to what you're saying, and maybe you need to have a belief in a being, a supernatural being, to be Unitarian. I don't know. Don't take. I honestly don't, I don't know. know. I know. I don't think like it's it's not necessary. They have uh, different congregations for mm -hmm. like they have one. I think that's specifically for people who hold uh, religious beliefs, and there's like a secular congregation. Oh um, yeah, there's different services. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they're pretty open to anyone with any belief about anything. Yeah. Yeah. I just didn't know if that was an option or because I get it. There's a hole left in your life where the religion was and you want something to take its place. And, um, and is that, I know you said that the hardest, did you say that that the hardest part was the uncertainty, but how does that rank with, not having this kind of community, Mackenzie? Um, I don't know, like when, like, so my timeline of like, I, my college church community is really important to me. I graduated in 2020 in December, and then I did AmeriCorps for all of 2021, which was traveling to different places. So I, I moved out of my college church community physically like movement addresses in December of 2020. And then I was away from that community, but like, like connecting with them, like staying in touch with people. And so like, I was already like losing them to a certain extent before like leaving my faith. Um, but then there's like a lot of uncertainty of like how those relationships will continue to change from here on out though. What's uh, the been the most positive thing about your journey so far? Um, being able to look at things with fresh eyes, like being able to just like decide for myself and not feel like I'm wearing like a cheerleader suit of a certain 
framework like already like okay I'm supposed to convince myself how to um how to make this fit my framework like I don't have to I don't have to do that like there's so much freedom from the cognitive dissonance of like well this is supposed to be true so how can I argue this like I was watching um uh a, a video about abortion and somebody was was presented with an argument and they were like oh man how do I how do I have to argue against this how can I figure this out like and they were like praying for like an answer to answer this person back like the thought did not occur to them that they could be wrong about it like it was just automatically I need to figure out a way to explain away this kind of thing like I I don't feel like and I'm not trying to get into all these like other topics because I'm still figuring them all out too. Mm. But like just the freedom to be able to think like more localized maybe about certain things. Like like it doesn't have like not everything has to fit under this umbrella of the Bible is true, or not everything has to fit under the umbrella of prayer always works unless you do these like specific things wrong. Like I can just objectively see is this the pattern that I'm seeing or is this not the pattern that I'm seeing and just like make choices from there yeah um let me ask you this um let's say you're given a magic wand Mackenzie and you could wave it and by doing so you would go back into your faith without the cognitive distance you would just be back and with those relationships you had and the certainty that you had would you wave that wand i don't i think that i would come to this place again eventually um so i don't know if maybe i'm like skipping over your question so i can go back to it again but like I think to be like at least my experience in evangelical Christianity was if I'm like really pressing in and really understanding this evangelism is such like a major emphasis of that faith that like I really like had a heart to like want to share that with people and I really wanted to learn how to make it more accessible and learning about different um different faith frameworks and learning about different people's perspectives. Like I learned so much that people have good reasons to believe what they believe, not necessarily true reasons all the time, but people like have reasons of how they got to their belief or why they hold them, even if it is a sense of belonging that it's giving them or if it's like, no matter how they would articulate that or what, nobody's, nobody's believing things that they don't actually believe. Like they may be deceived about certain things, but they really do believe it at that time still. And it bothered me that I couldn't replicate what I thought was supposed to be replicable to people. So I think I would come to that conclusion again if I were a believer. But the way you answer the question is, is if you take away your cognitive dissonance, take away, um, put you back into that situation, you, who you are as a person and how you seem to know things and how you go about 
your epistemology is that you would eventually get to the same place where you're at now. And that actually makes I would, sense to me. Yeah, I would still have I would still have cognitive dissonance and I would be suppressing it in certain ways. I would say, okay, this friend that I really care about is in my church who's struggling. Like I I see them struggling. I see them humbly praying and like wanting like freedom from their depression or freedom from what they're going through. But, um, but it, but that prayer experience is not working for them. Maybe this isn't the correct framework. Like I think I would still eventually come to those kinds of conclusions because certain things in my environment didn't fit the framework, but I was like just trying to dismiss them. Or there's so many people in that community that were trying to help me dismiss them or explain them away. There's like too many, too many seeds of cognitive dissonance that I think would still eventually grow into a deconstruction process. Mike, how about you with the same question? Yeah, I take this question very seriously. Uh, there are definitely days where I wonder if my life would be better and happier if I were still in the Mormon church. The loss of community and purpose has been difficult for me to handle. Um, but I don't, I also think we should say that for a lot of people um a lot of people have a really negative experience in their religious communities growing up the lgbt community in particular and mm -hmm. leaving religion is usually very liberating um for a lot of people um and, and that varies person to person but um so it's not that these belief systems are all good but uh, for me personally, I do wonder if I would be happier if I were still religious or if I had that kind of community or purpose. I don't know. Those are really fair responses, guys. And um, I, um, I just, I think it's truly my pleasure to talk to you guys because um, I think what you've gone through is really rare i think it's just for every person like you mckenzie like you might have gone through this there's so many people who once they are in a belief system that belief system becomes unfalsifiable for them right for whatever reason they can't they can't show themselves it's incorrect if it happened to be incorrect can i ask you a question Mark? of course um so as we're like on the topic of like of kind of like would it be easier or like what like if you could go back would you go back kind of thing um, yeah. or would it work to go back um that's kind of relevant to the topic of like talking to people about the deconstruction process um because like with the loss of community or with changing relationships in your life with believing people um, there's, uh, there's a like aspect of like, how much do I tell this person? Cause like, there's the desire to be understood by people, especially people that you've already developed these relationships with, but not wanting to like rock their boat or like be dangerous to them or sure. not wanting to like bring them into like, if, like, like what Mike was saying, like, if you, if you think that you would rather be like happy and deluded um then why 
talk to other people who are in that happy delusion about the deconstruction. Like there's like a, that's like kind of a, a pickle to be in, to put it lightly. And um, I was yeah. wondering like, if you have any insights like from like your own experiences or from talking to people about like, when when is there utility to discuss this kind of transition or like the idea that like that you perceive that somebody may be wrong or that you perceive that you are wrong even just to keep it more like personal like like because sometimes it can cause like hurt relationships between you and that person if you can't agree or sometimes it can yep. cause somebody else to buckle down and maybe their unreasonable beliefs is that is that wise is that ethical like or like when you might change somebody's mind and it's going to cause repercussions in their life like and to some extent like you're choosing that for them or like you're choosing to expose them to that then they maybe they don't know what they're getting themselves into like and a lot of that like comes with like a little bit of arrogance and if you would even have the possibility to change somebody's mind that's not up to you obviously like but it's up to you whether or not to engage with them in those conversations do you have any insights or thoughts on that yeah i mean gosh that's such great questions i think and great points and for every reason every point every question in that question that you have pretty much that's why i practice street epistemology because mm -hmm. i can have these kinds of conversations in a non-threatening way and i'm not i think as you know, I can have a lot of these conversations and by the end, the person does has no idea what I believe about what they're talking about. None, unless they directly ask me. And I'm just asking questions. I'm just asking questions. And people love to answer questions. Most people do. Yeah. And if it's important for you, for the people you love, for the people who are close to you, to not believe in things that are happened to me not be true if they weren't um and they would like we'd like them to change their confidence levels on their beliefs telling them what you believe doesn't seem to work <laughs> telling them um well this is what i believe doesn't work, doesn't work at Thanksgiving, and it doesn't work at Christmas, and it doesn't work today, usually. And so we just, we don't have those conversations. And I try not to have a talk about the belief. I just want to know how you form beliefs. And then it's a lot less threatening that way, because you're just, you're just talking about how somebody forms their beliefs and and things they don't people really don't think about too much usually unless you put the light on it and if you can kind of help that person with that then i think that's to me that's the that's the goal and i would hope eventually they would think about their beliefs more not always yeah i really appreciate the compassion that you show in that approach i think you do a really good job of that 
appreciate that, Mackenzie. I really do. Yeah. Really, guys, this is, you know, this is why I do this. I really, oh, gosh, thank you so much. <laughs>